Hi, and welcome to the FBCC Nature Journal, the podcast for everyone who loves nature. We are coming to you from the beautiful campus of the Flathead Valley Community College at the foot of the Swan Mountain Range of Northwest Montana. I'm John Fraley, longtime instructor in wildlife conservation here at the college, and I also served 40 years with Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks. In the Nature Journal, we'll focus on the critters and quirks of nature found on the campus, the wide surrounding Flathead Basin, and all across Montana. Our producer is Colin Burkhardt, and he'll be joining me today. And thanks to Morgan Ray, the library director, for offering the library as our podcast home. Well, today we're going to talk about the elusive and shy snowshoe hare. The species is Lepus americanus, and the snowshoe hare is also called varying hare or snowshoe rabbit. And it's distributed all across Canada, North Dakota, Montana, and it's in the family Laporte. Colin, have you ever seen a snowshoe hare? No, not personally. I've seen plenty of the regular rabbits, but right. I, from what I understand, a hare of any kind is much bigger than a regular rabbit, right? That's they, exactly they right. Big. Exactly right. And we'll, we'll get into that. So they have really large feet. Their rear feet are very large, and that keeps them on top of the snow. So that's why they're called like the snowshoes. Snow yeah. yeah, exactly. When they're walking or they're hopping, and you, the track is very, very distinctive. It's a great big paired rear feet and then small front feet. So they have furs on the sole of their feet for warmth and support. And, of course, they turn white in the winter for camouflage. So can you think of any other in Montana that turn white? Well, outside of uh, a few species of weasel, I don't think there are any others in Montana. Yeah, I was racking my brain. I couldn't think of one either. It's just the, the snowshoe rabbit, the least weasel, short-tail weasel, and the long-tail weasel. So it's in kind of, a, kind of an elite little group there. None of the local martins do, do they? No, no, they don't. But they feed on the snowshoe here, I'll tell you <laughs> that. So they turn white in the winter, so they have this camouflage. And as you can imagine, so how does a how do you think a snowshoe hare gets away from its predators? It's fast. It is fast. And it's hard to see in, in the wintertime when it's white. That's right. I forget what color it is outside of winter, but... Kind of a brown-gray mm. outside of winter. And it's amazing, though, that they, they sort of had the base of the food chain, so they do, a lot of them get preyed on. It's really, and we'll get into that, too. So when you look at the fur of a snowshoe hare, because I, I actually have skinned one out before and had it tanned for the uh, nature center up at Big Mountain, and mm. my daughter did, and, and it's very elegant, very soft. It's the softest fur I know of. It's softer than even a marten or a weasel. Wow. So it's really incredible fur, and, and that's why the Hudson Bay Company used to buy them from the from the early fur traders. And you can see the number of snowshoe hair that have been given into the Hudson Bay Company from 1850 on. It's just amazing how long ago they kept records on that. So they have these large rear feet and they stay on top of the snow when they're walking or they're hopping. And they, as I said, they have fur on the soles of their feet itself too. And so they're turning white and they're camouflaged and they think they are very camouflaged, but they aren't always. Um, I can remember one time I was going up a ridge in the Great Bear Wilderness. My friend and I were snowshoeing up a ridge and I looked over and I saw a snowshoe hare just sitting under a, 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 a lodgepole pine and it was just sitting there kind of looking sideways as I'm sure it thought that we couldn't see it but we did finally see that one usually they are hard to see but it's just so cute that he thought well I don't have to do anything I just have to sit here and I'm this thing isn't going to get me whatever it is I'm sure it's the only humans I've ever probably seen and they have black tufts of fur on the edge of the ears but those don't really show up so they're pretty darn well camouflaged. What do you think their winter food is, Colin? Well, there are not many plants that they would be able to get at during the winter, so I'm not sure what they would have. Well, they have the they have little shrubs that they can get, and they also eat pine needles, a lot of lodgepole pine, pine needles. needles. Yep. If you go in the woods and follow their little trails, they make really well-distinct trails. Wow. You'll see where they're just feeding on the 
Lodgepole, the young lodgepole pine needles. Yeah, that gets them through the winter, but it's, it's pretty amazing, isn't it? I wouldn't think pine needles had any sustenance. Actually, mule deer eat pine needles in the winter, too. It just to fill up their system, you know, but maybe they don't get a lot of nutrients from it. They're about 20 inches long, and they weigh up to three pounds. So they are big compared to a rabbit, as you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're mostly active, do you think, during the day or at night? I'd say day, but... Actually, they, they can be, but they're mostly active at night and morning and, and evening. Mm-hmm even though they are camouflaged. And of course they don't hibernate. So they breed in May and their gestation period is a little over a month and they have a litter or two per year. Some of, in this area, I've been trying to research it. I think they can have more than one litter per year in this area, but they put four to six young out there and they can really reproduce, right? Because they're at the bottom of the food chain. Oh yeah. I, I wrote an article for Montana Outdoors and my editor called them the hamburger of the woods, <laughs> which I don't write that way, but, but it kind of does bring up the point that they're if you look at everything a population, eats, go ahead, what were you saying? I was just going to say, everything gets, eats rabbit and hare. That's very yep. common. It's exactly right. If you look at a population, too, of the snowshoe hare, almost very, only 10% of them are over a year old. So they get eaten quickly, and not that many of them move into adulthood. So that just shows how low they are on the totem pole and that, that food chain. So they're very active breeder. They're prolific, and they produce lots of the young. Do you know what the young are called? It's really a neat little name. Oh, for a baby hair, I, I'm not sure. It's called a leveret, L-E-V-E-R-E-T-S. <laughs> so they're called, the little ones are called leverets, which is kind of cute. Huh. And they mostly, I said, mostly don't live beyond the first year. They're born at two ounces, only two ounces. But they're furred when they're born. And as soon as the fur dries, they can walk around, hop around. So they're very precocial. How do you, how do you contrast that, do you think, with a, a regular rabbit? Oh, a regular rabbit would be just a small one that's born, right? And it's, it's altricial. In other words, it, its eyes are closed. It can't really get around for days. And so it's, it's sort of helpless. Whereas the hare, they start right out running. They hit the ground running, basically. <laughs> and as I said, they're born at about two ounces. And they walk around as soon as they're dry. And that is very contrasting with the rabbit, as we just discussed. And they're more, more altricial, where they... Aren't just aren't ready to go right away. And you so, mentioned the predators. The predators are the Canada lynx, the marten, oh, yeah. raptors, coyotes, everything. Everything's a predator. So any birds? Raptors, you know, owls for owls. sure. And yeah. And, I always uh, forget that a raptor hawk. is a type of bird. It yeah. It doesn't really occur to me most of the time. It's just a bird of prey, mm-hmm. essentially. One thing, and I think I might have mentioned in a previous podcast, but I was coming around the bend of a trail in the Great Bear Wilderness, oh, maybe 10 years ago, and I came around that bend. And ahead of me, I saw a snowshoe rabbit rocketing down the trail right at me. And it was just like only a few inches of snow. It ran right past me and kind of almost hit me going past me on this narrow trail. And coming around the bend behind him was a marten. Mm-hmm. Martin had chasing him at top speed. And the marten saw me and just put on the brakes. And the snow kind of flew up in the air. And he ran right up the snag, this dead snag, and then just stood there chattering at me. And then eventually dropped down to the ground, just head first, just right, right down the snag. They're incredible climbers. And uh, kept chattering at me and then, and then ran off. So what I did there was I interrupted its predator trying to get it. What would you say? I imposed myself on the food chain at that point. But that was very interesting. So one of the things you'll notice with hares, too, is they travel these worn trails in the winter. You can just follow their little trail in and out of the different, in fact, in lodgepole because they're eating those lodgepole needles, too. And that makes them very susceptible to predation, as we said, coyotes, lynx, Martin, just anything you can think of, preys on them. They can they can find that that trail. 
as I as I said, the Hudson Bay Trapper records show the the common harvest of these these animals o- over the last hundred years, and they they have a classic predator prey relationship with lynx, and they have about a ten to fourteen year cycle. And in the Great Bear, I saw that played out in interviewing some people, two guys that were trapping in the Great Bear for a whole winter in 1960, and they called it the year of the rabbit, because that year there were so many hares all over the place that the wolves, the few wolves that were in there were feeding on them. The mountain lions were feeding on them instead of trying to get bigger game because they were so, they were super abundant. He said you couldn't walk more than like 20, 30 yards where you'd see a tracks and then you'd see them bouncing around. He called it the year of the rabbit. So that, that sort of shows the cycle. They, they have boom and bust cycles about every 10 to 14 years. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Their order is the lagomorpha, which demonstrates coprophagy. Now those are two big words, but what is coprophagy? Do you know? Yeah. Uh, I'll give you a hint. It has something to do with how they, they get rid of waste products. Yeah, I, I knew that much, but I can't remember the exact meaning of it. Okay, well, what happens is they, they have two kinds of pellets. The little round brown pellets, which we've all probably seen, and they don't re-ingest those, but they have a, also have a, oh. a dark, more of a gelatinous type of, of a, I guess, excrement that they actually eat, and they are able to glean more minerals out of that, uh, out of that type <laughs> of scat. All right. And uh, they harvest more nutrients from it. So not not that uh, appetizing to think about, but that's what they do. <laughs> now, they are a common... I a suspicion, but I couldn't quite remember. Yeah, I didn't yeah. want to say it if, unless I was wrong. Because we talked about another critter that's also coprophagic, and that is the pica, yeah. the rock rabbit. We talked about that, too. It's the only other coprophage I know of in Montana. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, they are hunted. They're non-protected, so you can hunt them anytime you want. And they're pretty good to eat, I guess, but... You can contract a disease from them called tularemia if you clean them without using gloves. So you got to be really careful there. Tularemia. That's. Yep. I'm not sure what kind of disease it is, but it's just fatal to the, right. eventually fatal to the snowshoe, and it can pass to humans. There's examples of that happening, and a lot. Most people that hunt them hunt them with dogs, and chase them, and then the dog gets real excited, you know, and then they, they take them that way. So as a prey species, then just to finish up. The snowshoe hare is a classic, almost don't, the way I look at it, is it donates itself to the food chain. I mean, 90% of them die within a year because they're getting eaten by everything else. And so it's almost like they're there specifically to fill that bottom of the food chain. Oh, yeah. So it wouldn't be any fun being a snowshoe hare because of that, but you are making a big contribution. Usually you say, like, what good is this animal? What good is that animal? It's real obvious what good they are. They're right at the bottom of the food chain. They feed just about everything, so... So you say that they're more likely to be made to be eaten than anything else. That's about it. They're made to be eaten. <laughs> so if you want to see one of these elusive snowshoe hares, sneak around the lodgepole forest, follow their trails, and good luck because they're not that easy to see, all white with the snow. So that's all the time we have for this episode of the Nature Journal. Thanks for joining us, and I'm John Fraley. I'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.